Welcome to In The Making. I'm your host, Katie Stewart, the founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today, I'm talking to Linda Batwin and Robin Silvestri of Batwin and Robin Productions. They're the founders and creative directors of the company, specializing in environmental, interactive, theatrical, and live productions. We've recorded this episode in their office in Manhattan, so you might hear a little bit of background noise here and there from the streets outside. I'm really excited to have you on the show because you bring something different to our episodes. You've been in business for a while and you've worked on some really amazing productions with some amazing clients. I'd love to start by having you give an overview of the type of work you do and maybe tell us a little bit about some of your favorite projects. So we consider ourselves, I guess, multimedia designers. And when we were growing up, when we were starting the business, multimedia is now become sort of experiential. Experiences for museums, theaters, events, uh, all using digital and interactive media. And they're not the same. Our projects are never the same, and that's what I think keeps us going and makes us think about it. You might use an experience in a certain way, but there are no two that are exactly the same. Could you elaborate a little bit on how your projects are all different and some of the things that you do? I know you've done museum exhibits that are video and interactive, and you've done some projection mapping. What other sorts of media have you done in some of your projects? Well, you know, it's interesting because for the Center for Civil and Human Rights, we had this one challenge. George had this idea, George C. Wolf, that he wanted to create an experience that would speak to teenagers, especially teenagers. And he, of course, was thinking of video game. And so when we were uh, conceiving some of the experiences or the exhibits, there was this experience of being a college student sitting at a lunch counter in North Carolina and being, you know, abused by white patrons. And so he thought that that would make a, an interesting video game. But of course, we didn't have the budget or the time to make that kind of, to make a video game that would really be that successful. And, you know, because those, those are those take years to develop. So instead, we proposed an idea to him that he had never really experienced himself. And this is using, using binaural audio, which is 3D sound which is an incredibly experiential uh, environment to put somebody in. So, so what we did was we created a soundscape. Visitors would have to wear headsets. They would sit at a lunch counter. They would have their, there were handprints on the lunch counter. They had to put their hands on the lunch counter and they had to sit there. And if they flinched or moved their hands because of what they were hearing, the clock would stop. And so it gave them a sense of what it was like to be a victim of this kind of verbal abuse. Wow. And, and it was so moving that after the first day, two things happened. One, they had to put a box of tissues on the lunch counter because people were so moved by it. It was a 90-second experience. And the other thing is 
there were long lines because word got out and everyone everyone really got to feel like they were there, that they had participated in what it was like to be in the civil rights movement, being a student protesting in the civil rights movement at a lunch counter. So, so you know, simple things. That's the idea is that yeah. what, what really speaks to people, we find, and we find over and over again, is simple is always better. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, of course, you have these big projection mapping surfaces of projects that we've done from Madison Square Garden on the ice or for the Knicks, you know, that kind of thing. That's huge. Radio City, we just did a live event for Earth's Call in Aspen, which was on the sales projection onto that. But that worked for the kind of audience and experience that we were dealing with. This counter, you know, lunch counter worked beautifully in that more simplistic one sense, really, Mm -hmm. that it was overpowering to you. That's what drives everything we do is the content is where we start with a story. Mm -hmm. What is the story that we're trying to tell and how best can we tell that story? Mm -hmm. So in this case, it was binaural sound. In another case, it was video mapping. Yeah, right. Right. So the media you create could really be anything. It's dependent on what's needed to tell a story the best way possible. And the environment. And then you decide what's the best technology. In our process at the beginning of any project, it's really about what is the idea? What is the concept? What is the experience? And once we've defined that in whatever world we might be in, then we talk about and decide what is the best technology to tell that story in. We always start first with the story and then use all that wonderful technology out there. Yeah, it sounds like your process may change from client to client, but the general way in which you conceive an idea might be the same. Could you walk us through, with an example of a project, how it might go from start to finish in terms of working with architects or other creative companies, coming up with this idea and then executing on the final project? There's pretty much a standard design phases that we go through. So after the master plan, if if we're working on a new museum project, for instance, there's a master plan that's been created by a group of people. It sort of gives you a general overview of what the project is going to be, what the experience is going to be. Then you move into design phases. And that starts with concept design. So you sit down and you you work with the exhibit designers, lighting designers, uh, the content experts, the subject matter experts, the curators. And you go through the different spaces and you define what the, the, the broad concepts are for each one of those spaces. So after the concept development phase, then you move into schematic design phase. And that's when you start sort of defining what the what the actual environment or spaces are going to look and feel like and what the content might be in each one of those spaces. And you explore at that point. You really mm-hmm. still are open to many options of what is the best way to do it. You're still figuring it out, and that's your time to do it. Because then once you've done that and you move on to design development, now you're really figuring out exactly how you're going to do it. And so through each one of these initial phases, you're also looking at budget and schedule because you have to design to the budget and you have to be able to design to whatever the project schedule is mm-hmm. as well. So those 
the design gets refined, keeping all those elements in mind. And so as we move into design development, now we're actually, you're doing more blueprints and drawings and layouts and renderings of what the experiences and spaces are going to look like. You're getting more defined about materials. Mm -hmm. more. Right, and then you get into script and storyboards. Maybe first mood boards, storyboards. You're figuring out all the production that you're going to do. And this is also running in tandem with the physical design of right. the space. And then the final, the final phase uh, is construction. And so for the exhibits, it's construction documentation where they, the exhibit designer and architect do full-blown, detailed drawings that they get put out to bid. And for the media production or interactive experiences, you are taking the, the treatments or the scripts and the storyboards and you're moving into the production basis for those elements. And then there's installation and programming. And I, I think even if it's not a museum, it, it's a very similar process. You just might, instead of it being a building, it might be a venue, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, Earth's Call, which was a concert, or Madison Square Garden, which was projection on the ice. It's a, you know. It's a similar thing. It's, it all sounds like so much work and so much planning that has to go into it. It sounds like it has to take a year or potentially several years to get something of that magnitude done. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah I mean, we worked on the National Museum of the, for the Marine Corps. That was actually three years of planning before we got to the production place, because um, that was a new building. So I'm curious, this being such an elaborate process, and there's a lot you have to know to be able to put something like this together and work with the different people in different fields. How did both of you get into this and how did you go about starting a company that can do these sort of things? Well, I started out. Well, we both well, started out as administrative assistants for production companies. Yes, yeah, we were receptionists at different companies. And then I kind of moved on and checked out different companies doing production, but it was corporate world corporate communication. And then I was a freelance producer for years in big and small companies and and then worked with the company that Robin was at for many, many years. And we asked questions and anything we do, when we were young and we were learning, you keep asking. And in order to help solve a problem, you need to understand enough. You don't need to be the expert on how that machine is run and that equipment, but you do need to know what it can do and what it can't do. So when someone tells you it can't do it, you're like, you question it, really? Why not try this? Just try it. And then you see what happens. So it's, it's like, I think you never stop asking questions because you have to keep learning. I mean, everything that we do is dependent on some form of technology. So if you don't understand what that technology can and cannot do, you can't create. Right. Well, you can't, we can't create our work. Technology is a field that changes so rapidly. And I feel like every year in, in my industry, I'm learning a different mm -hmm. design tool I should be working with or designing on. How have you seen technology in your field shift over the years? And how have you stayed on top of it dramatic shifts yeah i mean we really started out working in film for many of our all of our projections and slideshows 
but I mean, you, you, you keep, you know, you're out there, you're seeing how things are done and you're working with people who really know technology. So you ask them, they're part of your group to understand what can we do? How can we do it? So you start to be able to figure out, oh, let's do it this way. Or there's kind of different technologies, really. One is installation playback, how this whole thing works, but then it's how do we create it, right? Like years ago, you couldn't do 3D well, the way we're well, doing it now. You couldn't do that. Simply, you know, I always look at these as when we were doing slideshows, in order to create a slide, we would do slideshows that were 15, 30, 150 projectors that were all synced together. And it was like creating cell animation. So you would create flat art, and then you would create a layer, an acetate layer, and then you would shoot that layer, and that would be one slide. Then you create another acetate layer. It's like having Photoshop. You know, so so there's a, there was a different thought process that we used then that I don't think we use as much now because you really had to think things through because it was too timely. Too, it cost too much time and too much money to keep trying things over and over and over what Robin is also really saying is that you really thought about what you were doing. You didn't just do it by the seat of your pants because you had the technology to do it however you wanted. So that thought process is still, I think, very important to be really good at what you do. Yeah. It's really interesting hearing you talk about how the technology can actually influence the process and how you work and how over time, it doesn't seem the changing technology caused any issues or, or challenges. It's more learning how to work differently with new technology and change processes. The only thing I think about technology nowadays that sort of has a negative impact on what we do is that every that clients think, well, my son can edit a video. Right. <laughs> and my daughter shoots video. On her iPhone. On her iPhone. <laughs> She's and, you know, so that so that it, it, it's it's so consumer yeah. usable nowadays yeah. that that they sort of take it for granted that there is a, a process that has to go, you know, to really create something good. Yeah. There is a creative process and that not everybody can do it well. So so that's that's I think the conflict or not a conflict, but that's something that that we often are confronted with is that I think, you know, clients nowadays think, well, this is such, you know, I just turn on my TV and there's 150 movies that I can watch, mm-hmm. you know, so it's all out there. What do I, you know, what do, what do I need six months and, you know, $600,000 to do this or whatever <laughs> it is? Yeah. It's funny. I run into the same sort of thing in my industry. There's 99 designs out there where people can just go and pay $99 and get probably a pretty terrible logo but they can get it so they wonder why when we do one it, it might cost thousands of dollars and, and take a couple months to do right, right. They, they don't understand the strategy and the thinking that goes behind it and why that's ultimately going to be a, a better product for them in the long run right but I think ultimately when you're working with a new client yeah they're learning that with you but and so at the end they realize what you know and how you are creating something for a purpose that is going to be better than what they imagined, then, then they understand and appreciate what you're about. But it takes time with someone new for you to kind of learn your rhythms together to get there. Yeah. You know, I'd like to jump back for a second to your personal stories of how you got here and how you formed this company. I know 
Robin, you mentioned that you had both worked as production assistants. How did you two meet and how did Batwin and Robin come to be? <laughs> sort of by mistake, not by mistake, but <laughs> I worked at a company for close to 15 years. I did corporate shows, industrial shows, and we did sales and marketing meetings for big corporations like IBM. We would do car shows for BMW and Volvo. And I started out as a receptionist and worked my way up through becoming vice president in charge of production. And Linda was a freelance producer who worked with me on some IB, on, on my IBM shows. And we just, it was immediate. We could complete each other's sentences. We thought alike. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, you know, that we had the same design aesthetics, we had the same sensibilities, we had the same approach to how to produce something. So Linda came on board uh, at the company for about a, a couple of years. A few years. I was a freelancer, but I found that I had a few projects that I wanted to do, and I, uh, I, w- I was not going to be able to do it on my own. So here was a company I had worked for for many, many years. So I decided to join the company, do the work they do, but also had that ability to, to take a project in and bring it in with their support. Ultimately, what happened was a company, they were being uh, brought, bought by another company, and neither one of us wanted to work for this other company. And Linda went off and did her thing, and I left, and and I thought I was going to you know, move to Hawaii and do something <laughs> different. Uh, and that didn't work out. And when we got together for brunch one one day, actually just down the street, yeah. um, she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. You want to do it together? <laughs> and it was sort of, that's what happened. Yeah. We started with one computer, a VHS machine, yeah. and uh, a telephone. Yeah. <laughs> one room that a friend of ours let us sublet. And we got couple of jobs and then we went from there. Unfortunately yeah, yeah. we had some clients that worked that we worked with who had also moved on to other organizations. So they gave us some work. And one of our clients actually was the person who got us involved in the museum world because we didn't even know that existed. And mm. she was doing a project and uh, she was in charge of the IBM gallery on Madison Avenue and she was doing a project with the uh, American Indian Museum. Yeah. And uh, they were looking for somebody who could do video, and she recommended us, and that was our first museum installation, mm-hmm. which we won an award for. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big deal started. when it's your yeah. first <laughs> but, project. But, but one thing that we always felt is when we started the company, it was a really easy transition mm-hmm. because we're both very responsible people, and we knew what we needed to do, and we were motivated and dedicated and persistent, and that's how it's always been. So we, we kind of also evolved to doing consulting work, to helping people figure out how to use projection. That ultimately became a production project for us, but we found ourselves and still do in that kind of design consulting phase for media. And the same thing happened in theater. Somebody that I had worked with, he called up one day and said, this director wants to do video, and I don't know what to do, how to do video. And <laughs> she came in and talked to him. And, and that's how we got our first yeah. Broadway show. Wow. It was just, you know, just knowing not only how to create the video, but knowing how to deal with the technology and how to, how to specify what technology would be appropriate for that. 
So then that expanded. One show turned into another show. It's now turned into 25 or so shows. It sounds like your business started to grow organically. And just through doing this consulting work, you were able to get more projects and bigger projects. Is that true? How do you feel it started to grow? And how did you go from the two of you doing production work to an office in Chelsea with a full-time staff and, and all the major projects you've done? Well, you know, it's a kind of, it's two things. I think it's one, we, uh, because of the people we knew, that our network was pretty strong when we started. And so that we had had these people in different places, you know, that we worked with lots of different people. And so we had a, had a reputation of being collaborative, um, budget conscious. You could give us a huge show to produce in a short amount of time, and we could pull it off. We could pull off anything. And so that there was a trust in knowing that, that when somebody came to us, they knew that they would get what they wanted. It is a kind of word of mouth and exposure. And from one project, you get more exposure and more and then more legs. And that's how it happens. But we also are people that when something is sort of comes your way or you get a phone call, we're immediately on it. And then part of it, we are people who respond immediately. That's who we are. And I think that's important when you have a business, that everything is an opportunity out there. Everything you do. You meet people getting at the coffee shop. You meet people on the plane. Something I do really admire about both of you and your business is that you've chosen interesting projects. And I think a lot of companies, at least in my industry and in designer advertising, I think it's really easy for them to sell out and just take big name companies with lots of money, even though they don't love the work or really mm-hmm. even like it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting and inspiring to hear about how you've chosen your product projects over the year to be able to do a number of projects that really speak to you and kind of scale your team as you go with that. Well, and that's a conscious choice that we made because having worked in other companies, we've seen what happens when the machine grows and gets too big and you have to constantly feed the machine. Mm -hmm. We consciously kept our company small so that we could do that. So we weren't always beholden to, you know, a bottom line. Right. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, the money doesn't control the business. Mm -hmm. I quickly want to talk a little bit about a a very popular subject right now, which is women business owners. Organizations for women founders are very big and emerging, and it's really great. But I think you two have been two women who founded a company for a while now before this was a, a hot topic that people were discussing. I'm curious to know if that has been at all a difficult experience or a great experience or if that's affected you in any way? It never dawned on us. It never (laughs) dawned on us. I I mean, perhaps we didn't get a job because we were two women, but we wouldn't have known it. We never even thought about it that way, that I think we're very passionate, focused people that you can't roll over. And and we're there. I think anyone who we would have picked, pitched a project who have done a project who knows that we are going to give it our all and more. And we never even once thought about that. We're women or not women. But I also have to say both of us came from working mothers. Yeah. And, and I had, I had as an example, my mother who, who was always imparting to me how important it was to have a career to be, you know, she was, she was a teacher. She was passionate about it. 
but it was also a way for her to have her own sense of independence. And so I think innately we grew up with that kind of just understanding and we just did it. I mean, no one, it, it never even, it just never even occurred to us that, you know, when we were doing corporate shows, we were often one of five women in, in a room mm -hmm. with, you know, 35 men at, at, at the most. And it didn't dawn on us. Yeah. We yeah. just, we just were. That's great. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Now, if we were in a corporate world, I don't know if we would have a different, you know, we were yeah. fortunate enough to work in a design design world, which is much more open to that kind of expansion and, and growth. Um, I don't know if we worked in a corporation, if, if we, mm. would, you know, had those, those same, same advantages. I mean, the, the, the only two things I could have thought of was one time we went, walked into a meeting and they thought Robin was a man because in in mm -hmm. the UK there are many male robins like and that Aaron, was a bit of a yeah. surprise on their face <laughs> and then maybe one time not quite our company but right before someone uh, a, a client uh, would say said to me don't you worry your pretty little head about that honey oh. and then I did and but that wasn't when we were Bowen and Robin it was before then yeah. but other than that I think it's interesting it's Never wasn't. You know, I think we always, I think the thing that we always were, were very confident in ourselves and, and, and self-assured in terms of what we knew and what we could do. And that just read, I mean, that just reads to people when you meet them. And so, so I, because we didn't have any trepidations about being women, yeah. I don't think others did either. I think you that's know? exactly it. That's great. That's yeah. wonderful advice, I think, is just be confident and be, be yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, truly, that's all it is, because people pick up on that. They, they, they pick up on our passion. They pick up on our experience. Mm -hmm. They pick up on our capabilities. Yeah. So we present ourselves that way. That's and it. And so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, I would just love to know if you have any advice for people starting out today, five years ago, two years ago, anyone starting a business and going into business for themselves or just trying to create something. Is there any, anything you've learned along the way you would want to share with them or just any advice you would want to give? Being dedicated, committed, not afraid to work hard is very important. There is no limit what you would do to do the work you need to and to always be looking for more for your company. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's like anything else. If you have a passion for something, that that passion will propel you. And and as long as you can sort of, you have to stay focused. I, I think it really has to do with taking your passion and, and, and dedicating yourself to I think that's because we're in a creative field. Yeah. That people can feel or understand and your passion for what you do that inspires them to want you to do their work right mm -hmm. and not to be afraid to learn more yeah. yeah we're never too old to learn more and the more you learn you bring that to the table yeah i think that's great advice <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that with me and thank you so much for sharing your stories with me and telling us about this um it was wonderful to talk to you both and i think I think this podcast episode will be really inspiring for not only people in the creative industry, but anyone who is looking to start something mm -hmm. or just looking for inspiration and 
encouragement to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah because you yeah. know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna, gonna get some highs and lows. Yeah, some lows. There's ups and downs in everything. Yeah. So you know you just gotta stick with it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, once again, this was Linda Batwin and Robin Silvestri of Batwin and Robin Productions. You can check out more of their work at batwinandrobin.com or on Instagram at batwinandrobin. You can also get links to the resources we talked about in this episode on our website at shyonstudio.com slash podcast. Scroll down to the Batwin and Robin episode. I'd also like to thank Linda and Robin for joining me today and also Charmer and Clay for providing the music on this episode. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one. Thank you.